All right, please take your Bibles then and turn with me once again to the book of Micah. So in the Old Testament, Micah chapter 6. And once again, I failed to look up uh, page numbers. So if you're using a Bible from this room, okay, 662, thank you, Jackson. Page 662, if you're using uh, one of the Bibles from this room, that's where you'll find Micah chapter 6. This is our third week in a row to try to pay attention to some things in Micah as we continue to make progress in these minor prophets. How many of you have heard of the term, you're familiar with the term, social justice? Okay, a couple of you. Um, It's a very popular phrase that's being tossed around these days, especially in Christian circles, I think. Uh, Either of you who raise your hands care to help us define, if you can, help us define social justice? I saw your hand and Heidi's hand. So the, the veterans here. Justice that is social. What's coming to you? Yeah, kind of. You get you get what's coming to you. I I suppose that's one way to think about it. Diana, you have anything to add? It and I'll I'll grant you this. It actually is very hard to define. Like it's not a it's not a simply and easily defined concept, which I think is why it's somewhat debated. But. Yeah, it it almost depends on which side of the issue you're on. In other words, it almost depends on if you have power or if you don't. Um, Social, I think what people normally mean when they talk about social justice is they mean something like equality Mm -hmm. uh, and fairness. Probably those are the closest things to it. So, um, are, is it, are equality and fairness noble things? Like, are those good things? Are those right things to uh, promote and even fight for and stand for, would you think? Okay? Mostly? Yeah, I, I think um, especially equality in, in, the, in the sense that all humans 
biblically speaking, all humans are equal in dignity. We've all been created in God's image, so none of us are any less in God's image than any others. And so we certainly want to be reminded that equality matters in terms of dignity, that we uphold everybody's dignity, no matter where they're from, uh, no matter what their social status is. In other words, whether they are rich or poor, whether they are um, powerful or not, right? Whether whether they have any sort of authority or not, we want to we want to have dignity, uh, treat all people with dignity. Would you say that it is our that it is a main concern of Christianity? In other words, would you say that it is really important for Christians to try to make life fair for all people? Is that mainly what Christianity is all about, to try to make life fair for all people? Okay, not necessarily. Explain. Okay, but it doesn't sound like that would be... So you, you don't think so, but you're not really sure if you could explain why or why not? Hmm. Okay, I think, yeah, that's a very good, nowhere in the Bible are we told to fix the world's problems. Uh, they're, they're beyond what we can handle. Now, now, does that mean that things are hopeless and that the world's problems don't get fixed? And why not? Because we believe that there's a God who is ultimately just, who does have the final say, and will indeed grant to all people what he knows to be exactly right. What is then, what is the main calling of Christianity? If it's not to make life fair for all people, what, what are we primarily about, would you say, as Christians? Okay, in what sense? To give life to all people... Okay. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Good. God has God has made real life, true life available to all people, and as his representatives, Christians are to promote and speak about that life so that others can can have that life. Um, ultimately, more more than as you said, having their financial needs met or having their, you know, treating, um, you know, making making sure that all people are fair in that sense, right? Now, should we care for people who are poor and oppressed and hurting? Should we do that, even even on a physical level, like like meeting needs where we can? You think? Who's in fact? What's our example for that? Jesus himself, right? Like, he set that model. He obviously uh, cared for the outcast. Uh, But we must make sure, I think, that in caring for people's physical needs, that we couple that with caring for their souls, their spiritual needs. Because Jesus Jesus did that as well, right? Jesus, it was never 
a separate category for him. Like today, I'm only going to preach, and then tomorrow I'll take care of physical needs. It was always he was he was attempting to do both. In fact, it's it's the pattern actually seems to be that if anything was primary, it was the teaching. It was it was meeting spiritual needs primarily and physical needs secondarily. And I do think to go along with what Jackson said, I think it is encouraging that ultimate justice doesn't belong to us. Like, we don't carry out ultimate justice. God does, which is good. Now, we need to know what is meant by the justice of God so that we can live according to it. In fact, there on your notes, the, the main point for today is to be reminded that God is just. That, mean, that means that He's right. He is, um, he is good in all that He does. So, so the idea of being just is, uh, is a way to say, in fact, it, the synonym would be just that he is right. He, he is uh, even righteous would be a right way to say that. In fact, he shows himself that way. So we're at the very end of Micah here. Uh, this is, if you look at how verse 1 starts, what does it ask people to do? What is Micah asking people to do? Hear what the Lord says. So remember, we've, we've divided this book up between uh, every time Micah says the word hear, it's like he's starting a new section. He's, um, he's begging people to listen. Uh, if you remember from chapter 5 last week, we saw that God planned and promised to send a ruler from Bethlehem, one who would be both a king and a shepherd, a shepherd king. And that shepherd king... Uh, as we know from the New Testament, Jesus would come and Jesus would model, as we, as we said earlier, the justice of God. So we are going to see today what happens when people misunderstand God's justice. So we want to make sure that we get this idea of justice correct so that we don't misunderstand it and, and, and fall into a situation like what Micah's uh, people in his day fell into. Okay? So we're going to look at three categories of justice. Uh, Micah explained justice to, to Israel in these three ways. So here's number one. He explained, first of all, the need to know justice, to know it. You could, you could even say uh, to understand it. They needed to, to grasp it. Now, so there's going to be three sections. <coughs> Uh, in fact, if you kind of look ahead at your outline, we're going to basically ask three questions about each of these uh, main points. And they're basically the same. So it's going to have to do with what's their current situation, what's the Lord going to do, or what had He done? And then the third, third one is, well, how then do they come to the Lord? How do they come before the Lord? And these are all, these are all really very applicable. All right? In other words... It's good for us to understand our current situation, to understand what the Lord's going to do about that situation, and then thirdly, to know how to come before the Lord. Right? So, so we're going to see a lot to apply here. So we're going to have to work sort of quickly, but that's, that's how I think we want to approach it. Uh, let's try to answer the question here. What was their current situation? Look at chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2. Micah says, Hear what the Lord says. Arise and plead your case before the mountains. He's talking to the people of Israel. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear you, mountains, the indictment of the Lord. 
and you endure, uh, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against His people and will contend with Israel. So this is this is Micah's way of telling Israel, you have to give an account of yourself before the Lord. So here's their current situation: they needed to plead their case before the Lord. They needed to come before God and be honest about their situation. They needed to plead their case before the Lord. And you could add to that that the Lord was contending with them. The Lord was contending with them. Uh, That's what we see in verse 2, right? The Lord has an indictment against His people, and He will contend with Israel. So that's their current situation. So they're they're being brought before the Lord, and they're being asked to give, give an account of themselves before the Lord. Now, as they do this, the Lord doesn't just ask them, okay, what's going on in your situation? The Lord actually is going to remind them what he has done for them. So what had the Lord done for them? Look at Micah 6 and verse 3. Just so they would be reminded of what he had done. He says, O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. Because, verse 4, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak king of Moab devised and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal. And why should they remember these things? Here's the answer at the end of verse 5. That you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. And what did we say was a, was a synonym for righteous acts? What's the, what's the concept? To be right is to be just. just. So, so when we're thinking about this idea of justice, the Lord wants, wants to remind us that justice is really displayed through His righteous acts. They need to know the righteous acts of the Lord. Okay, so what did the Lord... Done for them, here's your answers. He had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And he had made his righteous acts known to them. Yes, sir? Yeah. I think, I think that's uh, along the same lines. Yeah. He he is um, he's asking them to give an account for what they've done. Of course, he knows, but he's he's asking them to give an account, and he's contending with them because he's he knows that their account is not going to line up with what he's revealed about himself, and therefore that would lead to to judgment. Yeah, specifically in Israel's case here, it would lead to their exile. So that's the kind of specific contention that's coming about here. Yeah. That's a good question. Now, if he had made his righteous acts known to them, which he says he has, uh, then they should have understood justice, right? They should have known what it is. Because he had made his righteous acts known to them, there was a certain way they should come before him. Look at how this is answered in verse uh, 6. The question is asked, Micah wants to know, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? He asks this, 
the end of verse 6. Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousands rivers of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Micah here is apparently wanting to know, should I go above and beyond in bringing all of these offerings to God? Would that satisfy him? Now, you can, you can sort of, uh, I think, get the implied answer from the questions. What's the implied answer here? I think it's no. Would it, would it be helpful, so Mike is basically asking, would it be helpful, since we've misunderstood, since we've missed God's righteous, act, righteous acts, would it be helpful for us to bring burnt offerings and calves and rams and oil and our firstborn and even our, as he says, the, the fruit of our bodies, our children? Would any of that atone for their sins? And the answer is no, it would not. So, first answer to the question there is that they should not come with offerings or sacrifices for sins. It would do them no good. So, how should they come before the Lord? And here's the answer in verse 8. You've probably heard this verse before. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness. Some translations say to love to love mercy. Um to 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 love the kind of to love the way the Lord had covenanted to love them. And he adds, to walk humbly with your God. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Um, here's here's how I would answer that then. Here they should know what is good How should they come before the Lord? They should know what is good. Micah says, He has told you what is good. You should know what is good. And they should do what the Lord requires of them. Uh, If you can, if if you're able, hold your place in Micah and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 10. So uh, that would be back towards the beginning of the Old Testament, the fifth book of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 10. So in Micah 6, 8, Micah uh, asks the question, What does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. Somebody read the first line or so of that for me, please. Um, Vitsi, you got it there? Yeah. Read, read chapter 10 and verse 12. It says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? All right, all right, all right. Oh. What's the question? What does the Lord require? So Moses has already asked this question. Micah's repeating it. Look at how Moses uh, answers it. Go ahead and, go ahead and read uh, 12 and 13 there, please, uh, Vitsi. Your heart and with all your soul, keep the commandments, the statutes of the Lord, 
I'm commanding you today for your good. All right, very good. Thank you. The reason that Micah, I think, says um, in verse 8 that he has told you, O man, what is good is because he had told them. If they knew what Deuteronomy 10 said, they would know what it is the Lord requires because Moses had already asked and answered that question. What does the Lord require of you? Vincy just read it for us. Fear the Lord your God, walk in all His ways, love Him and serve Him with all your heart and all your soul. Keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And he even adds there, I'm giving you these commands today for your good. So again, Micah says, He has told you what is good. So, again, going back to this whole idea of of justice... um, the Lord is the one who shows us what justice really is. The Lord is the one who, through His righteous acts, and the way He had delivered Israel, the way He had, had kept His people, the way He had promised, covenanted to love them and be their God and they be His, his people, He's already done that for them. He is, he is simply asking them uh, to, to be that covenant people, to... to live out the expressions of the love that God has already shown to them. That is how they should come before the Lord. The offerings and sacrifices wouldn't do any good. They needed to know what is good. They needed to to know the justice of God in order to be able to to do the justice and to love the, the covenant love that God had for them and to walk humbly with God. All right? So, so that's that's the first category here. Is they just they needed to know justice. They needed to understand it. Now, had they acted justly, had had they acted in this way, had they followed Moses' uh, commands there, what do you think? Generally speaking, no, they hadn't. All right, which is why, as Jackson pointed out there in uh, from. Verse 2, that's why the Lord is contending with them. So the second category here is the failure to act justly. They hadn't, they hadn't acted in accordance with the justice of God that they were supposed to know. And again, the same, the same questions here really are asked. So what is their current situation? Um, the current situation, if you look at chapters uh, not or sorry, verses nine and ten, there um, is this. In fact, go ahead and write these write these in there. Uh, their current situation is that is that they are wicked and deserving of punishment. Uh, read read verse ten there. Can I forget any longer the tr- excuse me the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? Um, the the second category that's given, the second description is that they are deceitful and violent. They are deceitful and violent. Uh, so verse 11, Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? He says, verse 12, Your rich men are full of violence, your inhabitants speaks lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouths. So when the Lord compared the just, His own justice and the way that they should have lived out 
lived according to that justice with what he sees of them that sees of them now none of it lines up so what will he do for them look at verse uh, 13 he says therefore i will strike you with a grievous blow and making you desolate because of your sins so the answer he will make them desolate because of their sins. This, again, I think is a way to describe the way that they would be exiled. Um, do, do we understand what it means to be desolate? What does it, what does it mean? Help us out. Well, it's kind of like, um, if you look back on ancient Rome, kind of ruins and stuff, that's kind of a desolate place. Yeah, so it, could, it probably gives the idea of abandoned, fallen apart. apart, yep, left alone. Um in ruins, uh, lacking, without. Now they might think, they might think, okay, well, in the midst of this desolation, we'll just work harder. You know, we'll, we'll plan ahead. But look at verse 14. Um, you will eat and not be satisfied. There shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give to the sword. In other words, you can stock your cupboards all you want. It's not going to last. Verse 15 says, You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes and not drink wine. So again, you can, you can put in all the effort to store up all these things for yourselves, but it will amount to... To nothing. So the, the answer there, uh, he will make their efforts amount to nothing. That's what he will do for them. He'll make them desolate. He'll make their efforts amount to nothing. So then we ask, well, how had they come before the Lord? Verse 16 answers, Because you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their counsels. Who are Omri and Ahab? Do you remember? Who are they? That's exactly right. They were former kings of Israel uh, who in their, in their wickedness and in their uh, idolatry and their worship of other gods, they had led Israel to do the same. And, and, and Micah says, you have, you've, you've just done what they've done. You've kept, you've kept the statutes not of the Lord but of Omri. You've done all the works of the house of Ahab. Remember Moses had, 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 had said, the Lord says, keep my statutes. Well, you haven't kept my statutes. You've kept the statutes of Omri. They'd walked in the counsel of their wicked kings. That's the answer. How had they come before the Lord? They had walked in the counsels of their wicked kings. <clears throat> Thus, the third category for chapter 7 is this. Uh, the, the third category would be the execution of final justice. Final justice. So, the Lord had, had displayed His righteous acts to them. In other words, he had, shown his, he had shown Himself to be just. He had shown Himself to be right. They had not lived according to, to God's righteous acts. They had failed to do justly. <laughs> But the Lord would bring about final justice for His people. And how would He do it? 
And here's here again we see the same questions here. Look at how their how their current situation is described. Let's let me give you the answers and then we'll point them out so that we're able to to finish uh, in time here. Uh, their current situation is this: their land was cursed. You see that in verse one where it talks about um, having nothing to eat. Um, it's as though everything's been gathered up and there's nothing left. So the land was cursed. Uh, second, no person was upright or godly. Micah says in verse 2, the godly has perished from the earth. Their hands are on what is evil and they do it well. Imagine that being uh, on your resume. What do you do well? I'm very evil. That actually, humanly speaking, is on all of our resumes, isn't it? We're really good at doing evil, but it, but, but that was that was the description there of, of the, um, the land during the exile. And because no person was upright or godly, then no person could be trusted. He says in verse five, "Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in your friend." Verse six, he talks about the son treating the father with contempt. Daughter rising up against mother, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, and a man's enemies are, are men of his own house. Jesus actually said, uh, actually kind of alludes to this in Matthew 10, describing his own coming. He says, um, he says I come to put family members against one another, and he describes these same, same things. It, I, I think Jesus probably quotes it there, uh, quotes from there, to say that, uh, that at my coming, because I because I have come, um, it's it's contentious, just like it just like it was in the days of exile. So, what will the Lord do for them? If if this is their current situation, what will the Lord do for them? Here's 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 where the Lord promises this final good justice. Uh, verse seven, Micah says. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, and my God will hear me. So, what will he do for them? He will hear those who look to him. I think that's interesting. Micah, Micah, Micah says, I'll look to him and he'll hear me. Not I cry to him and he hears my cry. It's just I, I look to him and he hears me. It's interesting. So he will hear those who look to him and save those who wait for him. This goes along, this lines up with what we've said about, a, about God uh, promising restoration for his people from the exile. So he, look, he, say, uh, he hears and he saves and then next he, ex- he will execute judgment for his people. He will execute judgment for his people. Um, verse 8 Rejoice not over me, my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Then he will bring me out to the light, and I shall look upon his vindication. I, I suspect there's probably a twofold um, fulfillment here. 
I, I think Micah is probably maybe even threefold. Uh, he's probably pointing forward to, to when they would be brought back into their land after exile. I think he's, he almost surely has even the cross of Jesus in mind about our sins being held against us until, until judgment is executed for us on, on the one who took judgment for us. And then probably even a, a picture of final um, judgment at the end of time. He executes judgment for his people. He will, uh, next point there, he will extend the territory of his people. Verses 11 through 13, he describes how they would, uh, they will return and they will build their walls. The boundary will be far extended. Others will come to your land because their land will now be desolate, but yours will be flourishing. So extend the territory of his people. Uh, Verses 14 and 15, he describes how he will shepherd his people. Verse 14, shepherd your people with your staff the flock with your inheritance. And again, this lines up exactly with what we've read previously in Micah, uh, the Lord gathering his people as a shepherd gathers his flock. And then lastly, what will he do for them? He will put their enemies to shame. Um, Verse 16, The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. Verse 17, they shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord their God, and they shall be in fear of you. Do you you remember back in uh, Genesis 3 in the garden, what was one of the punishments on the serpent? Do you remember? On his belly he'll go, and he will eat the dust. And, and Micah here says of the enemies of God that they will lick the dust like a serpent. I think he's probably saying something like they will have the same uh, punishment that the serpent had because they're showing themselves to be the offspring of the serpent. Now, let's conclude with this. Uh, we emphasized these verses a couple weeks ago, so I won't spend a lot of time on them, but... How then should they come before the Lord? Two things. Uh, they should recognize that there is none like him. So Micah concludes by asking the question in verse 18, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. So they need to recognize there is none like the Lord. And then, how, how else should they come before him? Last thing, they should expect that he will keep his promises to them. That he will keep his promises to them. He concludes, he says, he'll again have, stead, uh, have compassion on us. He'll tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob, steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Micah says, you've sworn these things. You've promised them to our fathers. We trust you will keep them. So, they could count on the Lord executing final justice, just as he had done for them previously, just as he had shown his righteous acts before them, 
and they had missed them, he would show them again in the future and they would not miss them. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you again for the way that you have revealed your righteous acts to your people throughout history. Thank you especially for the execution of judgment at the cross so that we don't have to bear the weight of our sins anymore, uh, that we can be counted righteous before you, uh, that, that we can know uh, that the God who is just has indeed acted justly toward our sins, and yet he has justified us uh, from our sins. Uh, so we give you all the praise for that, and we ask that you will uh, encourage us and cause us to um, anticipate uh, the day when all wrongs will be made right, and to hope hope for that day and to live in light of it. In Jesus' name, amen.